Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. And joining me today is Katan from the Ministry of Nodes. You have probably seen his videos explaining how to put nodes together. If you haven't, you should. And this is the reason for this show, because I think there's probably a lot of you out there that are on the verge of setting up a node or thinking about getting the pieces together to start that little rabbit hole journey. Don't worry, it's just a little side tunnel and it's very easy and well worth the journey. So Katan is here to talk about how to set up a node and different uh, functions of it and why it's important. And I really appreciate him taking the time to do this. So before we do get into the show, make sure please that you give yourselves a big pat on the back. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for all the banter on Twitter. Thank you for retweeting, rating, reviewing, subscribing, whatever it is you do to support the show. I really appreciate that. The sponsors of the show in the UK are coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten, Bitcoin only exchange. Go start stacking. Across Europe, you can use relay, R E L A I dot C H forward slash bitten. Go start changing your euros and swiss into satoshis in the us swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten the guys at swan have you covered but please make sure you use a hardware wallet to take control of your satoshis use the bitbox 02 bitcoin only edition hardware wallet from shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten that will get you a five percent discount it's an awesome piece of kit you will love interacting with it. It's very easy to use. Lots of very cool features packed into it as well. Enjoy this episode. Go spin up a note. Welcoming to the show is Katan from uh, Ministry of Nodes. And mate, it's nice to meet you. It's, it's weird to actually be able to talk to you and get something back from you because I'm used to just watching your videos and it's all, it's a lot of me pausing you and then rewinding and <laughs> which has yes. been a great help for me. So thank you so much. I have benefited oh. a great deal. All right, my time. Oh. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what is a node? But you didn't say good day. I, <laughs> I don't need to. I already said it. I just cut to an Australian accent. Um, well, so what is a node? Uh, a node is essentially uh, your gateway into the Bitcoin network. Um, it allows you to verify all the transactions as well as allows you to basically spend your funds. So it is your personal gateway into transacting and making sure that we're all in consensus and that no one is uh, doing anything shady, basically. So it's like a, a little computer. It's out there next to the, uh, the yeah. Wi-Fi router. You yeah. know, the little, the little black box, yeah. that's the node. And that is plugged into the Wi-Fi router. And that has a complete history. Oh, yeah. Is it when like it counts the numbers or is that a different one? 
Well, it has a complete history of every yeah. transaction that's ever occurred, ever, mm. on the Bitcoin network since Jan yeah. 3rd, 2009, all the uh -huh. way back to what we call the Genesis so block. The, the numbers are there. All the numbers are there. Yeah, okay, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. It runs the numbers, right? Okay, I know what you're talking <laughs> yes, about. Yes, it I definitely runs the numbers. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, do you have to run off now and go and do No, no you don't? I don't have any clubbers. Oh, okay. I thought so. Well, so you... I do have one, but um, she's like, isn't it? She like doesn't have clubbers. She can't do the class right now. So. Well, do you have any further questions? Um... I mean, prepare yourself, mate. This is going to come out <laughs> left field. <laughs> Okay, I think I got one. Let's hear it. Um. Uh, wait. What was my question? I forgot already. <laughs> <laughs> was it was it anything to do with Bitcoin, uh, or were you going to um... take us completely on a tangent? I mean, you asked Chloe whether she had ever seen a koala. I mean, I I don't know what. <gasps> wait, have you ever seen a koala <laughs> or like kangaroo? Yes. Yes, I have seen a koala. I have uh, I've held a koala um, and I have seen a kangaroo. Yes, uh, they are prevalent around here, but I usually see them at the zoo. Oh, okay. I got another question. How big are your spiders there? So then I know not to uh, go to Australia. So, yeah, they get pretty big, actually. Um, <laughs> the huntsmen get pretty big, uh, but despite their name, they're usually quite harmless to humans. Uh, but they do get pretty big and they it can be very, very scary looking things. Uh, but they usually stay to themselves. All right, Daddy, if we're going to Australia, you're taking that thing out. I'm not touching it. You've already been to Australia. I know, I know. Like if we go back, I, I don't remember anything there. But like, even like if we go back and if it's one of those things, you're catching it. I'm, I'm letting you die first. I'm not, I'm not going to die. No. I know they're harmless. I know they're harmless. They're not harmless. <laughs> I mean, not, not harmless. But, you know, you never know where we could go wrong. What did you have for breakfast? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. We're going to get on with the interview. So do you want to say uh, goodbye to uh, Katan? Yeah. Okay. Bye. Right. Thank you. Bye. No worries. Take care. Give me a koala. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, mate. And uh, sorry for, uh, you know, having to face the toughest interviewer in the space. Oh, definitely. That was, um, that was brutal. Yeah. <laughs> So how are things, mate? What's uh, what's going on? It, um, I I I know Australia's in a bit of a weird spot right now with um, what we're probably about to face going into to winter, more of the nonsense. But uh, what, what's the what's the feel over there? Uh, well, look, I think um, they've made this uh, four-step plan. The government is rolling this out uh, to get us into a more COVID normal world, which basically means vaccinate everyone. Uh, they want to get to 80%. Um, I went to the beach yesterday. Uh, we're in currently in, in, in lockdown and uh, I was, you know, uh, just roll, stroll, strolling along the beach. Um, and if you're lying down uh, or if you are just, uh, you know, sitting there at the park grass area, uh, you are being told to uh, move along by the police. So that's a bit of a concern. Oh, my goodness. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, it, it is a little strange. Uh, we do live in some strange times here. Um, uh, people just, 
uh, I, I think they're kind of over it. There's a lot of people who are just, you, you know, businesses, they just keep shutting down and you can't just, you can't run a business like that, um, particularly in the meat space. Online, maybe, yeah. Um, you know, offices and those sorts of things are, are still chugging along. But like if you're a restaurant or if you're a cafe or if you're doing something like a gym or something like you just can't afford to have things being shut down on you at, you know, something like, 30 cases, which are now growing to 300 cases in a population of 5 million people. So I don't know. It, it, it is a bit strange. Um, and yeah, I, I just don't know if the, the measures that are being taken are proportionate to uh, what is, you know, uh, what is being wreaked from an economic level, um, the havoc that's being caused there. So uh, it, is, it is very, very odd here in Australia. Mate, yeah, it's, um, and it's just getting worse and worse around the world. I saw the news out of Indonesia this morning um, that, uh, <laughs> my goodness, uh, overreach doesn't even begin to, it's not even the right word. Like, I don't think there's a word invented in the, to, to describe what's going on. Yeah, no, it, it is very, very odd. Um, I, I was just following the news and I just, I start... I don't know it's not panicking it's more just this is we have gone so far away from liberty freedom and freedom of association freedom of expression freedom of just being able to be out uh it just it is very very odd and you know they keep extending it as well so it's just like two weeks okay fine all right we'll, we'll go into a three-day snap lockdown then that turns into a week then it turns into two weeks and you're like, well, what is going on here? Is there something like, how is this even normal? Um, I don't know. But people apparently seem to love it. So I don't know. I, I don't know if they've, you know, uh, just, I, I, I don't know what the sentiment is because it's just like, are people happy with this? I, I, I can't imagine that they are because Sydney siders are just out and about all the time. Um, I don't think you can keep 5 million people locked down in, in their homes on a beautiful, sunny Sydney day. It's just not going to happen. I'm sorry. Um, people are going to be out and about and it is what it is. Budgie smugglers need wearing, my friend. I mean, exactly. you, 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 can't, exactly. you, you can't keep those locked up in the top drawer. The, the surfers are just going to go out there no matter what. Like it's just, they're going to be there. Yeah, man. Right. Let's, let's do some Bitcoin stuff. <clears throat> because I wanted to, sure. to bring you on the show to talk about nodes. Um, obviously, there's there's been a, a huge uptick in interest, and we've seen a lot of uh, retail coming into into the space. So a lot of people are going to be looking around for information, uh, getting their getting their information from articles or podcasts or, or watching YouTube videos like yours. And you know, the natural progression of things is buy your first little bit of Bitcoin, then learn about the hardware wallet and then step up to the node. I, at least that's been my journey. Uh, and for those people that are kind of like on that precipice of, you know, what is a node? Do I need a node? How does it work? How do I build one? Can I just get one off the shelf? I think it'd be a really good idea to, to go through all of that. But um, just to set the scene a little bit for, for the listeners who don't know who you are, can you just give us a little bit of your of your background, where, where you grew up, what was going on in the early days yep. and, and what, what, what made you peek into the rabbit hole? Yep. Okay. So 
Um, I was born and raised in Sydney. Uh, I've grown up there uh, or here um, for, for my entire life. Um, and when I was about 15 or 16, I would say, I came into contact with Stefan Levera, um, who is a prominent podcaster in the space. Um, and he was always touting you know, anti-central bank movements. Uh, he was all about the liberty. He was all about the freedom. He was probably a self-professed libertarian at age 15. Um, this is stuff that you just don't get taught at school. Uh, these are things that you just kind of, you know, go through life and, you know, you just accept the education that's given to you by schools. Um, and so, uh, you know, going through that, we went to university together as well. Um, we ended up kind of doing uh, at, at, at UNSW um, and we were taught the Keynesian economic way and Stefan was just shitting on it all day. Um, and I was just like, mate, you, you are a lunatic. Like, this is not reality, mate. The, the reality is this. Uh, what are you talking about? And so... What, what year of, was this? I, I don't what, know, what... Like, what, what, what uh, this was been uni days, I'd say from 2000 and before Bitcoin was invented. So probably 2007, yeah. 2008. <laughs> um, and, and so he, he was just, you know what, this is, this is trash. Like, you know, like he, he was well down the anti-central bank and anti-government route. Like there was no question. Uh, and he would post things on Facebook about this as well and i was mate he was on his own in that whole thing he was just on his own um and it, so a couple of years later um he sent me just a link and that link was the bitcoin white paper literally bitcoin.org slash bitcoin.pdf um he sent me the link and he said mate have a look at this what do you think so i started reading it and I look, I, I read the white paper. Then at that time, uh, this was about, I think, March 2013. And people, I, I was just sort of reading about it. And then the only real resource, if you want to call it, was Reddit. So I was on the Reddit forums, just browsing around, understanding what exactly this is. And it took me about two weeks. It took me two weeks. And I was like, yep. This is, this is, if this takes off, we are going places. Um, and so within two weeks, I was pretty much sold on the idea, um, which is kind of rare. Uh, most people have, you know, two or three attempts at it before it finally sort of clicks. Uh, but for me, it was just two weeks of insane nonstop reading. I was learning about open source software. I was learning about cryptography. I was learning about like just insane things that like okay if this was the monetary standard of the world what would it be uh, what could it look like and throughout that time i was just i was absolutely blown away like this is something we have never seen before um and so as that kind of progressed i was like stefan mate this is the practical application of everything that you were saying back in before Bitcoin was even invented uh, and throughout university days. And I was like, mate, th this is what you're, this is a genuine practical way of realizing your Austrian economic theory. And I'm just like, mate, I got to hand it to you. Let's, let's, let's go. 
Uh, so I took the risk at the time um, that was available to me. I was, I think, 25 at that time. Had I, I was working, I'm, I'm an accountant by trade, so I was doing decently at the time. Uh, and so I thought, you know what, here, here, here's have a, have a punt. Let's see what happens. And then the conviction just kept growing after that. It just went on and on and on. And I just kept at it. Um, and Bitcoin, I don't think a day Ever since March 2013, a day has gone by where I have not uttered the word Bitcoin. It just, it hasn't happened. Uh, obsessed, just absolutely obsessed. And so that's where kind of how my, I guess, the, the whole story sort of panned out or the rabbit hole went for me and I haven't stopped. So you, accountant, you, you were at the time this was going on, you were accountant, like classically trained in, in accounting and finance, I suppose. And working for like a well you tell me were you working for like a big firm or something what, what yep was... i was working yeah. for i was working for ernst and young um <laughs> and yeah i i was i i was a full-on like just product of the fiat university system mm -hmm. uh but stefan was just there going nah you're wrong you're so wrong um and he was there with me look we needed we needed money right like mm -hmm. we we had to do to you know eat and live so we were there i think he was at deloitte and we were just you know pretty much together the whole whole way through but pumping the corn as well at the same time give us an insight what is it like to be an accountant at one of these big firms i mean what what's like the day-to-day because -day? i i you know for, loads of people aspire to you know hit one of these big firms but when very few people really understand what it, what it entails and, and what it's like inside the belly of the beast. Yeah, so I think it is it is a very hierarchical structure in there. Um, you know, you start off as an accountant or a graduate, and then you work your way up to uh, accountant one, two, three, and then you got senior one, two, three, and then you got manager, senior manager, director, partner. There's a clear progression oh. there. And throughout that entire hoop, you are each hoop you are groomed into, you know, being something. Um, and so at some point, you most people, the, the business model is that after probably around two or, yeah, it, it depends. Usually uh, after you get your chartered accountant, you kind of leave uh, and, and go into a commercial world um, or you stay on to become some form of partner or something like that. Um, and if you are in that, if you are going through those ranks, your training and education is, it is, it is good. They invest a lot of time into your training and education but they work you hard for it. And if you were to look at the pay scales, you would be getting probably less than what you would if you were out in a commercial role. That's just generally how it is. Um, and so that is what it's kind of like working at a big four. Like it, it is full on. Every day is a little bit different. Um, you're on multiple clients, servicing multiple people um, and you're talking to them and you're auditing their business and you're talking to them about, you know, improvements that can be made, uh, those sorts of things. And so. It is challenging um, at times and it is rewarding, but it comes at a great personal cost. I think you could probably do it when you're young. Um, and that's probably why they have these graduate and cadetship programs. And then after, after you know, you want to start having kids, getting a family and all that sort of stuff, it, it gets very, very, you know, you have to really be dedicated to, to the cause if you, if you want to go to that partnership level, because they're going to absolutely, you know, grill you through that whole, whole process. So there's trade-offs to be made there. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's kind of 
what working at BY was for me. I, I had some great experiences with it. Um, I went on to comments. I went to uh, Chicago for six months uh, and I went to um, uh, Dublin as well for three months on these, you know, short-term comments. So travel opportunities are all there. And like, because it's EY and it's global, you can sort of move around into different areas of, you know, the world. I don't know if that's the case now, um, but obviously back in the heydays, yeah, they were happy to just uh, foot the bill for all your living expenses and everything like that. So there were some perks, but again, you had to work hard for it. So that's kind of where it was in terms of the big four accounting sort of um, realm. The old dangled carrot method eh? of, of, you know, helping you up that inch up that corporate ladder. It's so, uh, when I look back at it now, did you leave like um, after you'd, you'd, you felt you'd stacked enough or what was kind of the, where was your mind when you're like, you, you, you're doing this two week deep dive in Reddit and you're reading, like you said, just going crazy on Bitcoin. But then your day to day, your nine to five or seven to nine, whatever it truly is, um, you're you're meddling in fiat accounting for fiat businesses. It must have been a weird place to be. Yeah, look, you know what I actually did was after my Dublin secondment, um, I took time off and I took time off to uh, learn how to fly a plane. Um, so after I had stacked, um, I kind of just, you know, said, okay, look, I get it. I understand it. And here's, here's what I'm doing, but I also wanted to learn how to fly. Um, and so I got my private pilot license and I started doing that. So within one month, I was in an ability, I had the ability to fly one circuit around the airport by myself, which is kind of like your first solo. Um, and so I did that. Um, but yeah, I think coming back after doing all of that, it, you kind of reassess, all right, what do you want to do? How, what's the next thing for me? And so I ended up um, moving on to going to a, uh, working for the bank, uh, the largest bank in Australia, uh, believe it or not. Um, and so, yeah, I'm still in the fiat system as an accountant. Um, and I still sort of do my day-to-day, you know, accounting stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's where I've kind of just, landed and i just keep stacking away like you know just under the radar just you know just kind of i mean i i don't know if i'm under the radar anymore like i'm pretty vocal at the office i don't i I think people know uh but at the same time i kind of just keep keep my uh ca and that sort of stuff in in maintenance as well even though i probably don't need to Mate, I, I, I love it. We've got a Trojan horse in one of the biggest banks. And, uh, you know, it's uh, you're mining fiat uh, and turning it straight into sad. So it's beautiful. Yeah, look, I think that's probably what you want to do, right? Um, now, the other thing is with, you know, I, I, I <laughs> so recently I got asked to do a podcast um, through my company. Um, so the bank owns the company that I work for. Uh, it's a wealth advisor. It's a wealth management company. Um, and they wanted me, they invited me on to, on their Investor Digest podcast to talk about Bitcoin. And I was like, well, this is great. Fantastic. It went through to their risk and compliance team and it's stuck there. <laughs> so 
I, but to, to be fair, I was shitting on central banks. I was saying things that were probably pushing the boundaries of what they would typically um, uh, release. And so in that respect, it's sitting there in, on risk and compliance's desk awaiting approval. Uh, but I suspect that I have been gagged, censored and ignored. Um, so that's interesting. Let's see what happens. I'll, I'll keep you up to date on that one if you're, uh, if you're yeah, interested. Definitely. That would be awesome. I'd love to know when that comes out and uh, to see if they actually, you know, give it the green light. But um, all right, mate, you just, for the listeners, I can't let this one go because you said you took time off to learn to fly. And I think there's a lot of people out there that are, interested in this uh you know i've seen a few telegram groups uh pop up and obviously it's the whole citadel meme you know being able to you know shoot between different citadels and, and whatever else so what was that experience like what what what's um you know how does one go about learning to fly how long does it take is it really expensive and uh, you know what are the kind of things you need to do yeah so Learning to fly is uh, one of the most exhilarating um, experiences. Um, I think it's one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. Um, being able to take off, uh, do the impossible, and then come home safely um, with literally no one else on board is probably one of the most you know, satisfying uh, freedoms that you can have. Uh, when you're up there, it's just you and an engine um, and some wings, and you get to do pretty much what you want um there's no police you know telling you to pull over or anything like that it is you the open air and you just go uh that sense of freedom is completely liberating like that's what you chase uh and i think it in terms of actual learning um my first flight mate like anyone would you shit yourself you look down and you go Whoo, we're high and then you look up a couple of seconds longer and you're like Whoo, we're even higher Whoo, it's 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 daunting right um and it's a small little aircraft you know it's a Cessna 152 generally it's like this two-seater aircraft or a four-seater aircraft and you go up and it is you know a bit shaky it's a bit bumpy and you know you sort of yeah, it takes a little bit of adjustment but then after a while, you keep practicing and you get going. Um, you've got your instructor there, obviously, who is kind of, you know, uh, helping you out and showing you the ropes and making sure that you aren't really uh, doing anything um, that is catastrophic. Uh, but you are learning. You're learning mostly how to take off and land. Uh, that is the most critical thing that uh, a pilot needs to be able to do is land the aircraft. So you're going to be spending a lot of time in that circuit. Um, and it depends how good you are at maneuvering uh, different weather conditions. Uh, there is so much to aviation that you just learn uh, weather, engines, uh, aerodynamics. Um, it's just how the thing flies, fuel systems. Uh, you know, there is so many topics uh, that you just just go straight into and it is uh, it, that's another rabbit hole in itself. And you end up very it ends up very very rewarding um and so you know in terms of costs though i think it 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 is very expensive it's well look for, for me it was about 30 grand uh and for me i because i was working full-time i was doing this on a week like on weekends so for me to get from literally zero to my actual pilot's license um where i'm able to you know take the plane go and they don't really care what you do 
uh, that was a year and nine months. So, but you have to remember the, if, if, if there's a, if it's raining one weekend, well, that's two weeks of not flying. Mm. So that, that kind of just delays your, you know, your mileage will vary based upon weather conditions, plane availability, those sorts of things, instructor availability, all those sorts of things will, you know, be factors in determining and whether or not you do it full-time or whether you do it part-time. Um, like me, I was just a casual, you know, weekend flyer and I learnt every week. And then during the week I would study and then try and execute on the weekend. Um, I thought that that was great, uh, but it did take, you know, longer than it should. I mean, a year and nine months. I mean, I, I, I was consistently at it. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's expensive. It's a great hobby. Um, would I want to take this further? Probably not. I think uh, if you, if I was, I, I, I would do it out of interest. So a commercial pilot license would be the next thing that I would do. Um, and then maybe a night rating or IFR, which is kind of like flying into the clouds and, you know, those sorts of things. Uh, but at this point, I'm happy with um, where I'm at with it. And I might go back into it and do some more things. But at this stage, uh, I, I'm okay with where I'm at and I just enjoy flying for the sake of f flying rather than, you know, being on somebody else's time, somebody else's weather pattern, basically being a glorified bus driver. I, I, I just don't see that as something that I want to do. Um, so I, I will just, you know, continue to sort of, uh, yeah, whenever I get a chance, I'll go up with a mate or whatever. Um, just recently, actually my mate, uh, because of this whole COVID situation, Sydney airport is pretty dead. So for the first time, um, I landed into Sydney Airport, which you're not allowed to do with a light aircraft. And that was fantastic. That was epic. Because um, you've got this six kilometer runway, like it's huge and you can't screw it up, right? It's this massive, you know, like it's, it's huge. Um, and so you could, you know, land the plane, you know, three, four, five, six times over and you'd still be, have plenty of runway left. So it, it was good. It was funny um, to see this little fly amongst all these other jets flying in and stuff. It was, it was, it was a great experience. Mate, sounds awesome. So if someone wanted to smash it in a couple of months, they could do if they were like, you know, if they just when it took like a real uh, like intensive course. Yep, definitely. Um, you yeah. can get it done. It, it, I mean, look, there's also exams as well. So don't think that, oh, you know, you just, you, it, it's, it, you just get into a plane, start flying. And, and if the instructor rates you, you're good. Um, it, that's just, you know, there, there's a lot of studying as well. Um, so you have to do a couple of tests and those sorts of things as well. So there's a theory and practical um, just to make sure that you've got everything covered. And then you have to maintain that as well. So every two years you have to do what's known as a biennial flight review. Um, and there's other other regulations that you need to follow, but yeah, you could smash it out um, very very quickly, uh, and then get your CPL, and then just keep going. Um, it, it is it is, and and heaps of people do that. Cool, mate. Very very cool. All right, something for uh, for Bitcoiners out there to to uh, you know to to wonder about uh, the next the next step, the next hobby, whatever it's going to yeah, be. Yeah, well, if you've got if 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 number goes up and you've got the money, and you know you you. Might as well, right? If you if you want to invest in yourself, invest in some of the uh, self sovereign uh, type of skills that you can can get, I I would highly recommend it. It is it is one of the best um, you know most exhilarating feelings that you can do. So uh, go for it. If Bitcoiners are interested, I, I strongly recommend going to the nearest flight school and going up for a trial flight and and seeing how you go. Excellent. All right. Should we move on to notes? 
yes the the whole reason that we're meant to yeah. be <laughs> yeah. so what i'm kind of i'm trying to join the dot between your accounting brain you you see bitcoin for what it is you you know number go up limited supply all of this kind of stuff that just fires your brain because you you, you clearly see like the, the, the path for the number but were you already techie were you already had you studied kind of computer science as well at some point because to get pulled into the node rabbit hole and like uh, you know be able to explain in such detail and with such ease that you do um that there's something else you know going yeah, on in, so, in that dome of yours yeah so i think for me i was very very interested in computers at a at a very young age i i'd say i think i got my first computer at maybe 10 or 11. Uh, I had a 56k dial up modem. I was downloading movies. I think um, the first, I can recall the very first video that I downloaded um, was I think from Apple's website. Um, it was uh, <laughs> pretty fly for a white guy, uh, the offspring. That's my earliest memory. I think that was released in 1997, I want to think. Um, and it was just, it, yeah, those were kind of the, the, the days of, you know, dial up and that's where I, that, that's where I was kind of native to me. Um, I worked my way around a keyboard, but these are things I, I've never been professionally sort of trained in computer science or anything like that. Um, I never did any, I don't have any, you know, degree in computer science or a computing background whatsoever. It's just out of interest. I was born on the internet. Um, I was, you know, sort of watched it grow up. I saw Napster uh, get shut down. I saw the proliferation of Kazaa and all of that unfold. Um, and then, you know, we saw Torrents and that absolutely was a game changer. And then on Reddit, I read, well, this is money, but torrented. And that was just like, yep, this is, we are going to win here. There, there is nothing stopping this. So as soon as that kind of came through, um, I, I, yeah, it, it, I just went down the rabbit hole trying to understand what is going on here. Um, for me, I've stopped at developer. So I don't develop. I, I, I am a complete user. So I would consider myself a power user, um, but I don't develop. I don't code. I don't know any languages. So where I stop is where would a, a self-sovereign individual want to use the tools to enable them to uh, reach their goals. So that's where I independently sort of stop and say, all right, these are the things that I give then feedback to developers and saying, hey, look, this is what I'm looking for. What do you think? Um, so for an example, uh, RTL, which is a ride the lightning application um, on, your, on your lightning network uh, node. Um, I asked them, hey, I'm an accountant. You've got financial information here. Can you export this to CSV? Next version, what do you know? There's an export to CSV button. This is the type of thing that you can do in an open source environment. You can literally talk to the developers because we're so early and because we've got ideas, they will actually consider them and potentially even merge them into, your, um, in, into their projects. So you try doing that with a bank. Mate, you will get told where to go very quickly uh, if you do that with a bank. But if you do this with an open source project, 
they, they will probably listen to you if you're nice. You Obviously, it's a two-way street, right? You build some credit, credibility with them. You test things. You give them some feedback. You say, hey, here's, here's some bugs. Now, here's some things, some features that I think would be cool. Mate, they are very, very responsive to that. Uh, they want to see more ideas of how they can better. And, and this is something that just blew my mind with the, the whole Bitcoin space. They like if people think with the, you know, these people are toxic, they are not toxic. They actually want to build better tools for people to use. I, I, for example, Zeus Wallet, right? I know Evan is more than happy on taking on all sorts of feedback. I'll tell him, mate, you've got a bug here. He's like, mate, thank you. Let me fix that. If you look in the about section of Zeus, my name's on it. Can you believe it? I, I didn't ask for it. He just put it in there. I, I've never seen such a community that would kind of welcome your ideas. And I've done that with so many GitHub repos. Uh, and so that's kind of the beauty of Bitcoin um, and running your own node and running these open source software. It's fantastic. It's a great experience. Yeah, it's awesome. Right. So we, we've we've probably got people listening that are thinking, right, I, I want to become part of the network because that that was the the pull for me it wasn't so much about um you know all the other kind of buzzwords that go with it you know be your own bank run the numbers and uh you know whatever else what what suddenly kicked my ass into gear is oh shit the more decentralized we are the stronger we are and it's the best way i can contribute to that is just spin up a node and um, you know, I was kind of shamed into it as well along the way, having uh, Matt O'Dell on the on the show before I was running my node, and um, you know, he was like, "It's really far easier than you could ever imagine," and that's how I ended up finding you and your videos. So let's start people out with um, perhaps some of the um, the tools that they're going to need. And I got this kit list actually from big shout out to Bitcoin Q and A, who also helped me immeasurably um, along my little journey into building a node. Um, and like the, the kit list, I think he just took straight from you. So it's the Raspi Blitz and uh, like the SSD. So, so why don't you tell people kind of, well, first of all, what is a Raspberry Pi Blitz? You know, what, what some people are just going to be scratching their heads like these guys are talking a completely different language right now. Yeah. Okay. So uh, running a node, there are multiple ways to run a node, right? Um, the other misconception that people have is that they want to contribute by just running a Bitcoin node. It's not that, that you need to run one, right? What you need to be doing is verifying your transactions and hooking up your wallet with that node. That's what makes it decentralized. By you just letting it sit there in the background and not using it, that's really not, I mean, look, it helps to the extent that we've got more copies of the blockchain sitting around the world, but that's not the key issue here. The key issue is that you are able to transact on your Bitcoin node so that you are able to transact when you want to and not when someone else decides, hey, yeah, I'll let your transaction through before I've reviewed it and checked it and those sorts of things. It is permissionless transacting. So that is what your node enables. And then the other thing is that it verifies any of your incoming transactions and your balances, right? That is what you really, really want to make sure that you are doing with your own node because that's what gives us decentralization, okay? So 
In terms of actual parts and things that you'll need, look, there's many ways that you can do this. There's actually, you know, you know, uh, different ways to skin this cat. So if you've just got a normal desktop computer, okay, uh, you can run a Bitcoin node on that. And you can, uh, if you've got the uh, hardware requirements, for example, a one terabyte, usually you want an SSD or some form of storage because the blockchain is about 400 gigabytes um, at the moment and is expected to rise over time. So you'll want at least that, unless of course you're running a pruned node, in which case you only need, you know, a, a few, few, you know, maybe 50 gigs or so. But that's besides the point. In this particular scenario, you can just spin one up on your Windows machine hook up another piece of software called Spectre Desktop, and those two will uh, talk to each other. Or alternatively, you can use Sparrow Wallet as well. And then you can import your hardware wallet in. So you've got this nice linear progression. So that's one way. The other way is through running it using a little device, as you've mentioned, with called a Raspberry Pi. Uh, a Raspberry Pi allows you to run a Bitcoin node on this little small credit card sized computer that can sit next to your router um, away in the background. And you can then connect through to it using your laptop or your desktop or whatever machine that you have. And you can even use your phone uh, to connect back to it. So that is another uh, way. In terms of the parts list for a Raspberry Pi, you're going to need obviously a Raspberry Pi. I would recommend the the, the, the Raspberry Pi 4 with at least four gigas, gigabytes of RAM. So they've got two versions now. Uh, back when I created those videos, they only had the four gigabyte RAM version, but now we've got the eight. So maybe go for that. I, I would strongly consider getting that. Uh, and these are, these are relatively cheap um, computing parts uh, that are always accessible, are always going to be accessible for the common consumer, right? And this is the beauty of Bitcoin. And that's what also makes it decentralized is that you don't have to run this massive server farm of like, you know, thousands of dollars worth of investment to be able to verify your transactions. You're doing it on small credit card size computers. Uh, it, is, it is very, very attainable for the, for the, for the normal individual. So that's one of the key properties of Bitcoin is that we want to keep this decentralized as much as we can. And so back to the parts, we've got a Raspberry Pi. We've also need a hard drive or a solid state drive. Um, we'll also need a caddy that will sort of, you can hook that up via USB. You also need a micro SD card to flash um, and you'll need some ethernet cables and a power supply. That pretty much will run you through you can get these kits online uh the a lot of the videos and the instructions that you'll get online will have some of the parts it'll have some of the amazon links where you can buy them um i usually what i do is on the videos i'll just take you shopping anyway and saying hey this is what you need to get get this um and so you get a nice real you know uh way of of getting all your parts and then you need to put them all together and flash that micro sd card with the operating system in this case, you've mentioned Raspberry Blitz, which is a very common and popular um, uh, image that is available, uh, that is freely available. Um, uh, but there's others out there as well. Ronin Dojo, Umbrel, um, MyNode. These are all different types of different implementations that will do different things. So be sure to check out all of those um, on their websites and, and see what you want to achieve out of your, out of your Bitcoin node. Um, so that's another option. Or, and the final one, which is what I do, um, which is more just, I take a computer and I don't really care about, you know, whether it's a, like a 
you know, uh, if it's on a Raspberry Pi, I use a normal computer. I put all of the software that I want on there and I run it and spin it up myself. Uh, and I've got a video series on exactly how you can do that. And so the guys I've noticed um, who seem to have a lot of time on their hands, a lot of um, uh, spare time, as well as a little bit of uh, wanting to learn and, and just a bit of interest, that would probably be the more self-sovereign approach because you're not trusting any of these uh, projects, so to speak, like the Raspberry Blitz team or the Ronin Dojo team. You, you're just doing it all yourself and you're learning to do that. Um, so it really depends on how much time, how much effort you want to put in. But at the end of the day, the goal is for you to verify your transactions and be able to transact with your node. That is the key to making this thing decentralized. So that's kind of the whole spiel on nodes, so to speak. And connecting the wallet can be a bit tricky in, in some cases I've found, uh, depending on what you're running and what wallet you have. Um, that, that's never that straightforward. No, um, it, it, it takes a little bit of uh, time, but I think the, um, the developers have recognized this. Like I know the Umbral guys have tried to make that very, very slick where you just kind of scan a QR code with your, with your phone and it kind of connects and pairs it through. I know the Samurai Wallet guys do the same sort of thing where you can, compa you can pair your Samurai Wallet with a dojo via a QR code. So these things are getting easier over time. I think it, it can be tricky on desktops, but I do show you how to do that on you know uh, various platforms like a Mac or Windows, as well as um, different wallets. Like I'll put in a, a cold card in there as a demo. I'll put in a, a Trezor, a Ledger. I've done kind of enough flavors and permutations and combinations to kind of get you going as to how you can connect this um, your, your wallet up with your, your with your Bitcoin node. Um, the thing is, a lot of people are nervous about doing this. Uh, the, the good thing yep. about hardware wallets is, <laughs> yeah, look, I think people people seem to think, oh, you know, I might lose my coins or something might happen, something might go cat catastrophically wrong. One of the great things about hardware wallets is that the private key always stays on your uh, on that on that hardware device so you're never that that private key in theory never leaves the uh, that device so the only thing that's being transmitted and extracted out of that hardware device is the public key not the private key so whilst privacy could be an issue over time if you are careless with that data that's being um, extracted out of your hardware wallet the security of it is actually quite good um, because the private key is never extracted out of it. In fact, it cannot be extracted out of it. That is the entire point of the hardware wallet. So no matter what you do there, as long as you've got your 24 words, you will always, and if, if you've got a passphrase attached to that as well, as long as you've got your 24 words or your 12 words, you should be able to recover um, in any uh, BIP39 compliant wallet. Um, and I go through some of those details in another um, video that I've got on the, on the, on the YouTube channel is uh, understanding Bitcoin wallets, which is a, like a 45 minute tutorial of me literally taking different wallets and importing them into different places. So you get a very, very uh, clear picture of how those 24 words or 12 words that are given to you can be used in other different wallets as well. So. That's kind of, you know, um, the, the, don't be too afraid. It, it's okay. 
That is um, that is another good point, actually, that uh, I don't think is uh, very clear to people. Like if you had, for example, a Trezor and it was damaged or destroyed or lost in, in some way, shape or form, um, you wouldn't it wouldn't you wouldn't have to replace that with another Trezor. You could have another you could have a cold card, you could have a bit box, you could have whatever and then use your 24 words that were with the Trezor and that recovers everything, which is uh, something I, I'm not sure many people really are, are, are too aware of. Yeah, that's right. So uh, that that is something that you can definitely do. And it's one of the key features of Bitcoin. It makes it, you know, um, uh, you, you don't have to be wed to a particular interface um, or a particular hardware manufacturer uh, because they're all using the same um, standards. And that's the key here uh, that you are, you know, you, you are using the standard rather than you are using a particular manufacturer that could be uh, susceptible to, you know, government coercion or, you know, something nefarious happening to them. So that's one of the key things. And, and that's kind of why Bitcoin was developed that way um, is that these no, no centralized parties can sort of, uh, well, well, there's an always a, for a self-sovereign Bitcoiner to always opt out of companies who try and do these sorts of things. So that's one of the key, um, I guess, features of Bitcoin. It keeps the platform completely open. That's what kind of what you want to see. And just to um, ask you a question about this as well, uh, the, the node itself or like the, let's say you're running Umbrella or, or my node, um, that's a wallet in and of in and of itself as well if if i'm correct in thinking that okay so with umbrella in specific yes it has its own wallet but i believe it uses lnd's wallet so l uh your lightning network node will have two sections to the wallet there'll be an on-chain side and there will also be an off-chain side that's your lightning channels so your lightning node when presented to you in umbrella will be using both sides of that wallet to present you your figures so in that respect um Yes, you, you do get that, but that doesn't, um, uh, so in that particular instance, the, the private keys are actually on the node, right? In that particular instance. Um, but there's nothing to stop you from using a hardware wallet and connecting and using the app store that they've got to open up an Electrum server and connecting your hardware wallet to your Electrum server. So there's nothing to stop you from doing that as well and using this, the tools that way. So yes, it, it has a, a nice pre-configured um, wallet in there for you if you want to use that. But my recommendation is to just use your hardware wallet and your existing setup to, to connect back through to it and keep so, the Lightning Network node quite, quite small. I would recommend small, but small is a relative term. I mean, there are guys out there who are putting a lot of money on there. So yeah. <laughs> bit, and, uh, bit, yeah, bit of YOLO. We, we, yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, so, so let's, let's talk about then um, connecting the, the wallet to the node. So you've got your node spun up. It's done the IBD, right? Initial blockchain download, which uh, actually, do you want to explain that? That because some people might not ex you know, expect uh, that to take as long as it does sometimes. Yeah, so the initial blockchain download is a process by which we um, are downloading the uh, entire transaction. As we mentioned at the start of the uh, uh, at the podcast, um, you, you're downloading the entire 
blockchain, um, which is the history of all transactions since inception, as you correctly pointed out, from January 3, 2009. Very, very important date. Etch it into your memory. Um, and so uh, that is when Bitcoin started. Um, and that is uh, what, your, what your computer is doing there is taking every single transaction that is being thrown at it from other peers. So your Bitcoin node is actually connecting through to other Bitcoin nodes and saying, hey, can you please download this information um, for, for me? And it will download it. And then based on the rules that's coded by the node, it will verify each transaction and say, yep, 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 yep. It's all good. And then what you will do is you will eventually come to the chain tip. And that will mean that you are now synchronized to the network and that you are now speaking the same language as everybody else on the network. And so when you're, when you're synced up, that's when you wanna to start to you know, uh, be able to make transactions and verify your balances because you've caught up with everybody else. That comes at a cost. The cost is your download. So just be mindful that some internet service providers might have like a 500 gigabyte cap. You are like, that month is gonna be a big month for you when you do your IBD. Um, and so you wanna be wary of that. Uh, but then you're also going to be storing that information on your hard drive there. And that will be there sitting there purring away to be either cross-checked or looked into further by uh, software that can enable you to, you know, explore the blockchain or verify your transactions as they, as and when they, they come up. So that's kind of the, the spiel on initial blockchain downloads. Yeah, and uh, depending on the the speed of your internet, it might take anywhere between like one or two days, or a week, or a month. Yeah, so it it really depends on your internet connection, but also um, if you're running through Tor, the majority of implementations now run through Tor, so it does add a lot of time onto the network uh, or, or to download. Um, and so expect, look, uh, I would say you should be done within a week. Um, so just give that as the, as the sort of ballpark. But obviously as time goes on, that time will also increase um, because we're, we're downloading more and more transactions every single day. Uh, the blockchain is growing by roughly 144 megs per, per day. Uh, so, you know, you've got to, those, those requirements will continue to grow. Uh, and that's why we want to keep this thing as small and as efficient as possible. Um, and so that's why, you know, you, we got this uh, big debate uh, back in 2017 around big blocks and small blocks and those sorts of things. So um, that's what we want to try and do. We want to keep the footprint as minimal as possible so that everybody, anyone on the planet can come in and just spin up a node and be ready to transact onto the network within a week. Um, and, and I think you should be okay. The good, you know, if you want to do it on a fast processor, fast internet connection, mate, you'll be done in a few hours, really. Um, it, it, it's, it, it is possible to get it done in a couple of hours still. So it, yeah, it just depends. Um, with Raspberry Pis, it's going to take a little longer. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so now once people have got their spun up, um, let, let's, let's try and get it clear in people's heads how, and in my head as well, you know, um, we're all learning at the same time. When you connect the wallet, say you have, I should use the show sponsor, Bitbox, and you've got your Bitbox uh, O2, and you now want to connect that to your node. You follow the steps, you download the Bitbox O2 app to the computer, you um, liaise with your with your Raspberry Pi, which 
this is another thing we've got to make clear, I suppose. It, it gets on the branch of your network, which you explained really well. In do you want to do you want to explain what's going on there when when you add another node, like a printer, for example, is just a node, right? Um, you yep. know, right? So yeah, okay, go for it. Yep. Explain. So essentially, on your computer, on your home network. Uh, everything starts off with the router. Your router is what uh, routes traffic to the devices that it needs to. So say, for example, you're on the Wi-Fi and your mobile phone is on the Wi-Fi. Uh, your router is what's sending you the information to go to that particular device. Um, now, as you start to bring more devices into your home network and plug things into either your Wi-Fi or Ethernet cable, you are getting a what's known as an internal IP address. Now, if you look on your settings of your phone, it will show you the internal IP address of your device when you are connected to the Wi-Fi. Um, and so what we're trying to do is we're going to call the, the, the device address that has been uh, given to the node or to that Raspberry Pi or to that computer that you're running. So your mobile phone or your uh, your laptop or your computer um, will go through to the network, go to the router and say, hey, can you bring up everything that's going on with this Raspberry Pi here? And it'll have an address. And so the Raspberry Pi will go, yep, all right, no worries. It'll send it to, through to the router and then the router will give you that information. And so there is a communications link between your computer and your Raspberry Pi or your, your node there. Um, and that is done via your local network, okay? Now, there is the internal IP addresses that you will get, but then this same thing is happening on the external network as well. This is how we have the internet. This is how it's built. It is a series of huge wires and Wi-Fi all clobbered together and given these IP addresses or addresses on the internet that we can then call. So that is what's happening, but just at a small level within your house. And so that's kind of how you think about it. You take your device that you want and you want to call that Raspberry Pi. So your Bitbox in the application there, it will ask you, would you, um, would you like to connect to your own server? And you'll say, yes, it'll ask you for that address. That address will look something like 192.168.1.3 or something to that effect, right? And you'll punch those numbers in and that will be the address of the Raspberry Pi. And so then it knows, okay, well, the Raspberry Pi will accept those incoming uh, requests and then dish all the information that you've requested back out onto your screen, which will show you what your balances are, but then it will also... Be a, it will be a two-way communication. So when you want to transact, it will go through, hit the, hit the router, hit the node, hit the router again, and then out to the world. And so that's how you can broadcast the transaction to the other peers on your network. So hopefully that kind of makes sense. I know it was kind of, kind of long-winded, but and I labored the point there, but I'm, I'm hoping that's sort of now clear. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, and then when you are, let's say you've bought some coins, you've got them on uh, exchanges, or apps or whatever, and you want to move them now onto your hardware wallet, the reverse would happen, right? The, um, the, you, you would make the transaction, you, you would get the, um, uh, the address from your hardware wallet, you would go to the exchange, you would paste that in and hit send. Where does that go? Okay. So what's happening on the exchange, the exchange 
may send it to you instantly if they are, are, are doing that, or they might batch it with other transactions. So you might there might be a wait time. It, it just really depends on the exchange. But what is happening here is that the exchange is sending you uh, or, or sending coins to that address. Now, the they are broadcasting a transaction onto the network saying, hey, I want this amount being transferred to this address, which you've provided them. What will then end up happening is that your Bitcoin node will sit there and it will be listening. It's going to listen to everything on the network and it will pick up, hey, this is this is a, this address, it, this belongs to me. And so then it will, it will pick that um, out of this pool that's there. It's called a mempool. And the pool there will be all of these unconfirmed transactions that have happened. Uh, and it will show you instantly. So the, the Bitcoin network will happen. It will show you instantly from the time that it is sent. Your, your hardware, your software will pick up saying, hey, it's, 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 it's waiting to be confirmed. I've got it. But we're just now waiting for the, net, the rest of the network to, to, to make sure that the sequence of transactions is all legitimate. So that's what's happening there. And you'll get that information via your Bitcoin node because your Bitcoin node is talking to every other peers and those peers are connected to other peers and those peers are connected to all these other peers and all of these, uh, this network is talking to each other and your node is listening out for your address um, and saying, hey, yeah, I've got, that's mine, thanks. And I'll, uh, I'll take that one. And so it will, it will take it and you will be able to see that address there uh, with your funds, with the amount, hopefully, that you've um, withdrawn from the exchange. And so, yeah, it'll take, well, it depends um, how long it takes to confirm. Uh, sometimes in, in congested times, it will take longer. Uh, like, for example, right now, um, it's the 4th of July at, in, in, in America. So literally, there's no one on the network. So for, for Aussies like me, mate, this is the prime time to be transacting. Um, but during busier times, um, yeah, it, it can take a bit of time for you to get your first confirmation. Once you receive about six confirmations, it's roughly said that that is done and dusted. You are, that is an irreversible transaction that, is, that has occurred on the Bitcoin network. So it's not as if having your own node is going to speed up the transactions or the confirmations. It's just the, the fact that it's, it's seen that it's your address and it's you trying to uh, transact and it's got his hand straight up saying, I'm confirming that and that belongs to us. So yes, it, your, your wallet software will pick up the fact that there is something that, that is out there that belongs to you. Um, and well, it, it will be your node that picks that up, but it will be translated into your wallet. So that's what's happening there. Very cool. Um, what else is there? What, what are the other little nuances that um, we can touch on about running a node? Um, there's, there's a few cool little things you can do, like run the numbers and go and explore like the uh, Genesis yes. block and, and, and this kind of stuff. Do you, do you want to talk about a few of those things? Yeah, let's, this is actually quite uh, an interesting. Um, so uh, this part is where, so I, so a, a lot of my, um, the, the guys who do the, the Ubuntu node box manually thing they tend to be older guys with probably a lot of time on their hands and they and they want to do this and they're partic you know participating that basically boomers so they'll call me saying hey I, I i've i've you know can you just help me out with this and so i'll help them out 
this one time, this this gentleman, uh, he he came to me and uh, we we were able to run this command called uh, Bitcoin CLI get TX outset info. Now, what this command does, it shows you the number of coins that are in circulation at that point in time, at any point in time. Um, but this particular command shows you as of now, this is how many coins are actually in circulation. This is the supply of something digital that we have never been able to do before. So we ran it. It takes a couple of minutes to run because it's adding up all the, you know, uh, all the UTXOs and it takes a bit of time. And then it popped up. And at that time it was, I don't know, 17 or 18 million coins. Um, and he said, wow, this is the most fun I've had with my pants on. And <laughs> I was like, mate, this is, yeah. So some of these, this is one of the cool things about Bitcoin is that you can verify the number of coins issued uh, at any point in time. And that, if you compare that to the fiat standard, oh, mate, we, we have done something amazing here. The, the, it, there is no doubt that this is a breakthrough in computing science. Um, this is the next level of human invention. I, I, I think being able to create a good that cannot be copy and pasted, that's what we've created. That's exactly what we've created. If you want, in layman's terms, what have we done with Bitcoin? We have created a digital good that cannot be copy and pasted. That's the invention. That literally is the invention. And what that enables is a supply of money that is so hard, meaning capped in supply, that, in fact, I, I, I can't name anything that we can definitively say that there, that there is only this much of we can't do that with gold we can't do that with any precious metal we can't we just don't know what we don't know this gives us a measuring stick this is certainty this is a way to plan for your future this is huge and what how, how, did did the epiphany still drop for you like every day yeah <laughs> yeah dude like for, for, for me Every time I think about this, I, my, the, the hair on my hands stand up. I get shivers down my spine. Like th This is something we have never been able to do before. To be able to know the supply of coins that are available globally. Oh, mate, this is massive. And I can, I can totally see why that boomer said to me that this is the most fun he's had with his pants on. Like It, it, it is. It, it genuinely is. It is fantastic. That is a principle. We've never done this before. And on January 3rd, 2009, we did it. <laughs> it's huge. And recently with um, the difficulty adjustment, uh, you know, having a close look at, at how that is running perfectly. It, that, that for me was just like, wow. How, how yep. does this thing keep blowing my mind? Yeah, look, I think Satoshi, when developing this, it was just genius all around. He took concepts that were available, already available, and he patched them together so beautifully that it just works. And sure, it's not perfect by any means. I don't think we can sit here and say Bitcoin is perfect. But what we can say is that 
if you look at that white paper, it is doing as it's designed. Um, and it hasn't changed since 2009. That gives me a lot of certainty. That gives me a lot of credibil- credibility to this system. And I think that that is what really just ignites my passion for this. It's, it's just the stability of it. Whereas you see now, we, we like just two years ago, I could travel the world freely. In two years, I, I am relegated to this country and this country only. That, that, that has changed dramatically. But I am positive that the number of circulation or the number of coins in circulation in Bitcoin will not exceed 21 million. That, that is a powerful tool. I, I just can't, you know, that, that, that gives me so much, like it's like this huge weight off my shoulders because I don't have to keep running this treadmill at EY. I don't have to keep running this treadmill to keep chasing fiat. I can just sit there and go, okay, look, this is where I'm content. This is where I think is enough. Like I have worked my ass off and there is some light at the end of the tunnel not when I'm, you know, 65 or who knows what the retirement age will be. It will probably be 70 or 75 or basically when I drop dead uh, under a fiat standard. So this part of Bitcoin for me just gives me that clarity. It says, okay, this is what I am going to do. This is how much coin I want. And after that is all gravy. It'd be nice. Yes. But I can now think or I can start to plan things a little bit differently. I can use my time, which is something that I only have a limited supply of in the, in the way that I want, the things that make me happy. Um, and that could mean servicing people. I, I, you know, that could mean going out and helping people get onboarded to this system, or it could mean I could spend more time at the beach. It doesn't really matter, right? It, it just gives me my time back. And I think that's, that's really what this is about. So that's my I, get, I know that the question was on around the, the, the cool things, but I think that's the coolest thing. It's, it, it really is that supply thing. The other thing that you can do is also check some other major events. Like, for example, um, you can check the pizza transaction, the infamous pizza transaction that occurred. Um, there's, a, there's a piece of software called BTC RPC Explorer. I think mempool.space will also have it. But there's a, the infamous 10,000 Bitcoin pizza transaction is there for everyone to look at and potentially laugh at or just cringe at or whatever um, that they want to do and, and, and sort of just bask in that glory that, hey, some, someone spent 10,000 BTC on a couple of pizzas. Um, I think that's pretty cool. We've also got the Genesis block, which, is, which just really sticks it to the man. You can literally go in there and say, Hey, this is the initial, like, you know, the Times, 3rd January 2009, Chancellor on brink of second bailout for banks. Like, I think that just tells you what this is about. Like, that is it. That's just like, you know what? I've had enough of this shit. I am going to create a system that is better. And, mate, it wins every time. That was very cool. That was one of the first things I did. Um, Bitcoin Q&A helped me uh, find that. And I was playing around with the node once I'd got it spun up and I just wanted to go see the Genesis block and, and just see it actually, uh, you know, it was like, wow, man, this is uh, it's really great. And it's it's mind blowing. It's another level of education once you've spun it up and you start interacting with it. Um, 
it's almost tangible. Uh, it, it almost gives Bitcoin um, touch, if that makes uh, kind of sense. Um, but I, I, one thing I will ask is because a lot of us, even though we can't at the moment, a lot of us will be wanting to move around and there's digital nomads out there. You know, if people go and live a year out of an Airbnb sort of thing, are these things portable? Can can I take it to from Airbnb to Airbnb, plug it into that router, it would catch up with itself? What What's the... Um, What's the word there? Yeah, so the, these are portable devices. I mean, a Raspberry Pi is 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 very portable. You can plug it into an internet connected device. Uh, the the thing is, though, you might lose connection and connectivity when you're trying to connect back to it. So you might need to reconfigure it a little bit. So, say for example, you want to take it to uh, so from your place to I don't know, maybe your parents' place or something like that. You will need to reconfigure that whole um, thing. The other communication channel that you that is also available to you is not just through the local networks. You can go through Tor. So this is the Onion router. Um, basically, you can open up ports on 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 the Raspberry Pi, and a computer um, will be able to connect back through to it. It's a little bit slower, slower. It's a little bit clunkier, but it does get the job done. So you can set that Raspberry Pi um, at home and be anywhere on the planet and be able to access your node and transact with it. And that's kind of what the, I guess, the the Dojo system does, the the um, Samurai Wallet with Dojo. Um, and and there are instructions on how you can connect your your uh, your hardware wallet devices through to your Electrum wallet, and then your Electrum wallet can then hook back via Tor to your own uh, Bitcoin node. So no matter where that node is, you can plug it in and, and, and it will be available and that Tor hidden service will be available uh, for it to listen on. So that's another option there um, for, for people who, who, who want to kind of roam around a bit or want to move from one place to another. Um, and then, of course, there's also the the, the idea of keeping the, a local copy. Um, so if you really want to, you know, uh, the, the first uh, option that I mentioned was uh, you can take your Spectre desktop with your uh, Bitcoin Core, you know, in Windows um, and, you know, and put it on a laptop and you can take that laptop anywhere in the world with you and you're up and running. You just wait for the synchronization to occur and you're good to go. So there are options if you are a sort of a digital nomad type thing. You don't have that one central address where you are um, doing things. But when it comes to the Lightning Network, that's when it becomes a little bit challenging. The, the Lightning Network is when you want some a little bit more reliability and stability. Um, and so that's something to be uh, uh, wary of. But in terms of just on-chain verification, that can happen really anywhere in the world. But if you want to do something with a Lightning Network, it's probably advised to have something strong, stable, a good internet connection so that payments can be routed through. Um, so that's just my word of advice on the Lightning Network as well. Cool. And I, we should probably make it very clear for those listening that um, the, um, do you want to talk about the difference between like a Bitcoin node and a Lightning node? And they're, they're not different pieces of equipment. It's not like you have to go and build a whole different Lightning node and uh, just to make yeah, it Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. So it's they're not two different pieces of equipment. They're two different pieces of software. So your Bitcoin node um, will verify on-chain transactions, but then your Lightning Network node will um, will will sit on top of your Bitcoin node. So it, not not in the physical sense, but on the I guess the the software level. Um, so you will need another piece of software that. Generally, many of these packages like Raspberry Blitz and uh, the Umbrella and um, my node will come packaged with a Lightning Network node as well. Um, and so that will be on 24-7 and it will be 
it will be talking to your Bitcoin node. It will be talking to that blockchain and saying, hey, can you tell me what the status is of all these transactions that I've, um, that I've created when I entered into a, a, a channel? And so uh, that will be something that, you know, you will need to keep online. And it's, it's just another piece of software that's added on top of your Bitcoin network that, uh, or, or your Bitcoin core, core node. Right. And that's when you can start opening channels with other people, finding peers out there, um, which what is the reason to do that, Gitan? Yeah. So as you may uh, have noticed, um, the Bitcoin network is slow. Uh, that's not to say that that is necessarily a bad thing. It's just one of the limitations of um, what the Bitcoin network does. It, it, it verifies transactions every 10 minutes. For those who are looking for that tap and go type experience, you're just not going to get that on the Bitcoin base layer. I'm sorry. It, it, we've just resigned to the fact that that's ever going to happen. The next thing that we can do though, is a layer up, which is the Lightning Network. Um, and that node allows you to uh, open up channels with peers and it allows you to fling sats. Um, and this is, this is final, right? So you can instantaneously settle payments on the Lightning Network and you can uh, pay uh, with Lightning rather than making an on-chain transaction. This saves space on the Bitcoin blockchain because everybody, you know, I don't think everybody wants to see your coffee on the Bitcoin network. I just, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't want that on my hard drive. I'm uh, sorry to offend you. But on the Lightning network, however, that is another layer on top of it. And so when we... Uh, transact on that network and then we settle the transactions on chain that represents a group of transactions having occurred so i might pay you you might pay me i might pay you again and so we we, we do a bit of riffraff and at the end of it we uh, settle and say yep you're, you're, you're owed this amount and that comes back onto your on-chain and then I'm owed this amount and that comes back onto my on-chain and so that's kind of how it works um, with your with your lightning network Cool, mate. Right. I, I feel as though we, we may have exhausted the uh, the deep dive into the world of nodes. But uh, if anybody wants to come and uh, learn from your YouTube videos and your series, uh, which I did, uh, where can they find you, mate? What's the best way to, uh, to come and interact? Yep. So I am available on ministryofnodes.com.au or the YouTube channel is youtube.com slash ministryofnodes. And that will get you through to uh, the various series and um, uh, playlists that are available there for you to consume. Um, run, I would Your first run, I would probably go with a 2x speed, just run through all of them and just get an idea of what I'm doing. And then come back and you really go into the deep dives and nitty gritty and you'll be able to hopefully uh, get, get, get onto the path. If you need consulting, um, we do offer that as well. Um, so ministryofnodes.com.au uh, slash consulting and you, you can you know, uh, book in a, a time with me to, to talk and discuss um, if you're having any issues or whatever else you, uh, that you need. I'm always happy to help. So take advantage of that if you, if you so need it. Sure. Is there uh, is that a set fee for the consulting? How does that work? Uh, so the, the, there is no set fee. It is just pay whatever you think the session is worth. So that's the yeah. It it, it really is up to you what you want to what you want to pay. Cool, man. I love that the Bitcoin ethos right there. Uh, all right, mate. I'm gonna have to hit you with it. If you had one orange pill left to give to someone, who would you give it to, and why? Oh, mate. Um. 
So uh, this is tough. Um, I think uh, I, I would do it with my father. I think um, my father is, is he's not a pre-coiner. He's an absolute no-coiner. I would love to one day orange build him. Um, he, he just doesn't see the, uh, you know, like... <laughs> I guess he's just grown up with fiat his entire life. He's earned a fiat his entire life. He doesn't know what the issues are because he's never been, his payments have never been stopped. He's always been able to afford a house. He's always been able to, you know, get things done. I just, he doesn't see that there's a problem with an unlimited supply of money. He just does not see that that, that is even an issue. It's not on his radar. I would love to orange pill my father. Uh, it would make my life a lot easier. But unfortunately, he is a no-coiner and it is a tragedy for me personally. So that's probably one person I would uh, like to orange pill. Yeah, it would be so nice to be able to convince those nearest to us and you know, to be able to then enter into the kind of conversations that we've entered into with complete strangers that we've never met before but are aligned on, on Bitcoin. It's, it's a real big miss, actually. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, the people that have come through the uh, the consulting doors have been phenomenal. Um, they're really, really wanting to learn and understand and people from all ages, all type walks, walks of life. And it is just, it, it really is a, I think this is a, a global revolution. I, I really do. Um, and I think that that is going to be a very, very powerful force in the future. Uh, to create the change that we want to see for our kids. Um, maybe we might not be able to see it, but maybe the next generation might be able to sort of uh, leverage that and, and build a better world for them. So I'm happy to be part of it. And I stand here as part of that revolution. Yes, me too, mate. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time today to come on the show. And uh, yeah, big shout out to, to Stefan, um, who... Uh, has been kind enough to give up his time as well, but he was clearly a, uh, a driving force behind uh, helping get you orange pilled and Chloe that's been on the show as well. Uh, I know uh, there's a great scene down in Australia, it seems to me, of, uh, of Bitcoiners, and I just hope you guys can uh, all get out again soon and, and start traveling and get over this nonsense and uh, start living our lives. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Appreciate the time, mate. Take care, brother. Speak soon. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening and thank you, Katan, for coming on the show. Remember to go and check out the Ministry of Nodes. You'll find everything you need to know about how to start building and spinning up your first node or your second or third if you are that way inclined. I know a lot of people out there that are already down the rabbit hole like to once they've built one they're building the next one and then the one after that uh, but this show was definitely here to help inspire you to start that next little journey down the bitcoin rabbit hole down the side chain of nodes just go and have a look see what it's all about because you won't regret it once you've you know stepped up and um and upped your your privacy and transacting with your own node as Katan so eloquently described in this interview. So hit him up on Twitter as well. Go make sure you're following him. Thank you again, everybody, for listening and everything you do to support the show. Uh, a quick nod to the show sponsors before we sign off. 
you know where they are now. It's coinfloor.co.uk. That's forward slash Bitten, Bitcoin only exchange. Relay, R-E-L-A-I dot C-H forward slash Bitten, DCA service across Europe. DCA in the US with Swan, swanbitcoin.com forward slash Bitten. And make sure you take control. Use the Bitbox 02 hardware wallet, Bitcoin only edition, shiftcrypto.ch forward slash Bitten.